0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Open to Debate. I'm John Donvan. War in Israel and Gaza. Like everybody else in the world, we are following this breaking news story here at Open to Debate, and we have wanted to be thoughtful about how we address it here with what we do, which is debate. And in reference to that, we made a decision this week. After a good deal of internal discussion and reflection within the Open to Debate team, we've concluded that events are changing so fast and passions are so high it's not clear what fresh debatable question we could pose right now to bring together competing viewpoints in a way that would be productive. In fact, we did reach out to a number of potential debaters and other thoughtful people whose opinions we respect, and they're from across the spectrum, and their general response was that this would be a very tough time to produce a new debate that would be responsive to what's happening and to how we are all processing it. We have done debates in the past around the Israel-Palestine conflict, quite a few of them, and in this program... We're going to return to one of those because its content actually seems relevant to something that's happening here in the United States as a consequence of the war in the Middle East. I'm referring to the stress that's being witnessed on America's college campuses and in Congress and at the dinner table between people who support Israel and people who support Palestine. If you've been following it, you know that much of it centers on criticism of Israel's military response to the murder of its citizens by Hamas. Criticism of Israel is nothing new, but its intensity has been on an upward trajectory for several years and is reaching new highs right now. And there has been disagreement over what that criticism represents, whether it is fair and in good faith, or whether it can and does cross a line. In 2020, we debated this question. Is anti-Zionism the new anti-Semitism? Hearing that debate again now, I think you'll find the arguments made then remain thought-provoking and perhaps even more relevant in 2023. Answering yes to the question, is anti-Zionism the new anti-Semitism, our debaters were Brett Stevens and Einat Wilf. Brett is a New York Times opinion columnist and a multi-time debater with Open to Debate. Einat is the author of many books, including We Should All Be Zionists, and was a member of the Knesset, Israel's parliament, from 2010 to 2013. On the opposing side... Answering no to the question, his anti-Zionism, the new anti-Semitism, was Yusuf Menayer, who was previously leader of the U.S. campaign for Palestinian rights, and now is head of the Palestine-Israel program at the Arab Center in Washington, D.C., where he's a senior fellow. Yusuf was joined by journalist Peter Beinart, who is now a journalism professor at CUNY School of Journalism and the editor-at-large of Jewish Currents and author of the Beinart Notebook newsletter. This one was taped in front of a live audience, and just to be clear— The situation then was not nearly as immediately dire as the one we're seeing right now, and you'll probably have a sense of that difference as you listen. Now, the first person to speak in the first round, answering yes to the question, is anti-Zionism, the new anti-Semitism, Brett Stevens.
1: I want to begin by clearing up uh, a few points so we don't waste your time uh, debating them. First, when we say anti-Zionism we do not mean criticism of Israel. Not only is criticism of Israel not anti-Zionist, it is essential to Zionism. If you think that Israel's occupation of the West Bank needs to end right now, I am not here to quarrel with you. But anti-Zionism isn't criticism of Israel. It is a call, whether by force or other means, for Israel's destruction. It's the difference between wanting your friend to be better or wanting your enemy to be gone. Second point, tonight you will likely hear our opponents make the case that there are anti-Zionists who cannot be called anti-Semites. And they will say that there are anti-Semites who are Zionists. Both points are true. Among some very orthodox and very secular Jews, there are indeed a few Jews who don't believe there should be an Israel. Similarly, there are people who don't like Jews and therefore think they should all go to Israel. (laughs) But to say there are exceptions to a rule does not disprove the rule. The truth is, for the overwhelming majority of Jews, Zionism and the state of Israel are central to our identity, our security, our history, and our hopes for the future. To insist that we be stripped of this would be as destructive to our rights as Jews as repealing the 19th Amendment to the Constitution would be destructive to women's rights. If some, of you in this, uh, if some of you here in the audience think of yourselves as anti-Zionists, I am not here to call you a bigot. But I am here to tell you that you are deeply mistaken and that you are participating, however unconsciously and unintentionally, in an ideology that is... Usually in intent and always, in effect, anti-Semitic. Anti-Semitism is a shape-shifting virus, and anti-Zionism is one strain of that. So how do we know it's the same disease? One way we notice this is that the tropes are so often the same. For instance, when Israelis are accused of committing genocide in Gaza or being, quote, greedy for other people's land, we hear an echo of ancient libels about Jewish bloodlust and avarice or when Israelis are being are accused of being colonialists in Israel, despite an unbroken Jewish presence in the land for over 3,000 years, we hear the lie about Jews having no connection to the soil. Right now, India occupies Kashmir, Morocco occupies Western Sahara, China occupies Tibet, Russia occupies Crimea. When one claims that Israel's occupation of the West Bank means not only that it should get out of the West Bank, but also that it should not go on existing as a state while never making any similar claims about India, Morocco, Turkey, China, or Russia, then a discriminatory standard is being applied. Finally, ask yourselves, if Israel were to cease to exist, what realistically would be the ramifications? What would that mean, not in theory, but in practice, for seven million Jews living in Israel? Would they be safe? Or would countries in the West accept them with open arms, despite this being an age of closing borders? Ladies and gentlemen, all of us in this room are aware that the hatreds that led the Jewish people to tragedy in the beginning of the 20th century are stirring again. They are happening on the political right under one guise, but no less dangerously on the left under the other. Now is the time to call out prejudices with dangerous real-world consequences by their proper name, lest they infect us with their poison. That is why I urge you to vote for the motion that anti-Zionism is a new anti-Semitism and must be treated as such. Thank you very much. Thank you, Brett Stevens. And that's the resolution. Anti-Zionism
0: is the new anti-Semitism. Our next debater will be making his opening statement against the resolution. Please welcome Peter Beinart, author of The Crisis of Zionism. Peter Beinart.
2: The number of Jews who oppose Zionism is not marginal, as Brett suggests. The Satmar Hasidim held an anti-Zionist rally in 2017 of 20,000 people. That's larger than APAC's annual conference. Two-thirds of ultra-Orthodox Jews in Israel, the fastest-growing Jewish population in both Israel and the American Jewish community, reject Zionism. And the, growing, the number of progressive American Jews who reject Zionism is growing too. When you ask American Jews in polls, if the two-state solution is dead, would you prefer one state in which millions of West Bank Palestinians lack basic rights or one equal state that is not a Jewish state? A majority of American Jews favor the one equal option that is not a Jewish state, the anti-Zionist option. If you vote yes on this resolution, you are calling those Jews anti-Semites. And if you think this doesn't matter, I would note that over the last two years, a Jewish teacher has been fired and another forced to resign at New York high schools because they expressed anti-Zionist views. In the name of fighting anti-Semitism, Jews are denied free speech and lose their jobs. Many non-Jewish anti-Zionists are anti- aren't anti-Semites either. We have data on which Americans hold anti-Semitic beliefs. The Anti-Defamation League periodically asks Americans whether Jews have too much power, Jews are dishonest in business. And its studies show that the Americans who hold these anti-Semitic beliefs are disproportionately older and poorly educated. But when you ask which Americans have anti-Zionist beliefs, as the Pew Research Center has, it's demographically the opposite. Anti-Zionist Americans are disproportionately well-educated and young. In other words, a lot of Americans are anti-Zionists without being anti-Semites, and a lot of Americans are both Zionists and anti-Semites. Of course, if you claim as a matter of principle that anti-Zionism equals anti-Semitism, then it doesn't matter if an anti-Zionist shows no evidence whatsoever of animosity towards Jews. It doesn't even matter if that anti-Zionist is Jewish herself. But equating anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism is as incoherent in principle as it is in practice. It's incoherent because there is no universal principle that says every ethnic group has the right to its own country. No one says it's bigoted to oppose a Kurdish or Catalan or Kashmiri state. The reason they don't say it's bigoted is because ethnic nationalism, a state that privileges one ethnic group uh, over another, is not the only form of nationalism most people consider legitimate. I don't consider Israel to be the moral equivalent of apartheid South Africa. But just to illustrate the point, South Africa was built on Afrikaner ethnic nationalism. When apartheid ended, that ethnic nationalism was replaced by a civic nationalism that privileged no ethnic or racial group in South Africa. That wasn't anti-Afrikaner bigotry. North Macedonia is the nation-state of the Macedonian people, but it also includes a lot of Albanians. When the Constitution changed to remove those privileges for Macedonians over Albanians, it wasn't an act of anti-Macedonian bigotry. This is what several Palestinian members of the Knesset want in Israel now. Several recently proposed turning Israel from a state that privileges Jews into a state that favors no ethnic or religious group. They want to replace Jewish ethnic nationalism, Zionism, with civic nationalism. According to Brett and Aynat, that's bigotry, even though civic nationalism, a secular neutral state, is what we aspire to in the United States. Why are we having this debate? We're having it because as Benjamin Netanyahu and Donald Trump kill the two-state solution, more people, including more Jews, are saying that if there is to be one state between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea, better it be one equal state than one in which millions of West Bank Palestinians live without citizenship, due process, or the right to vote. That Logic, morally, is upside down. It is not bigoted to call for people to live equally under one law.
0: You're listening to Open to Debate, and if you are just joining us, we are revisiting a debate from a few years ago on the question, is anti-Zionism the new anti-Semitism? I'm your host, John Donvan. We'll have more opening statements coming up. Welcome back to Open to Debate. I'm John Donvan. This episode was taped in front of a live audience in 2020 with debaters arguing around this question, is anti-Zionism the new anti-Semitism? We're halfway through opening statements. Please welcome Anat Wilf, former member of the Israeli parliament. Ladies and gentlemen, Anat Wilf.
3: I'm here and I'm sure many of you are here because it's not about a theoretical debate. This topic has real-life consequences for real people. Consider the historical possibility that anti-Zionism is indeed the new anti-Semitism. We're saying that what's going to happen one day in America is what happened in other places where after World War II, where anti-Semitism was thoroughly and horribly discredited, uh, anti-Zionism became the mask. In the Soviet Union, when they said we're only anti-Zionists, not anti-Semites, we know how it ended. In Poland in the 60s, when they had their campaign of not anti-Semites, only anti-Zionists, it ended with the Jews being expelled and many committing suicide because they were vilified and couldn't take it. We know how it ended in the Arab world, where a million Jews were expelled for anti-Zionism, not anti-Semitism. It is a devastating thought to think that this might come to America. But consider the other possibility. What if anti-Zionism is not the new anti-Semitism? What are you saying then? That anti-Zionism is okay? It's fine? Let me tell you something about my Zionism, what Zionism has given me. Zionism is the reason that as a Jew, I can walk with my head held up high, secure in the knowledge that I have a home, that I have a space where I am safe, where someone has my back. I am secure in the knowledge that we can have a vibrant, crazy debate where all we do pretty much is criticism of Israel. We do so much of it, I think that we've turned it into an export industry. Zionism has enabled criticism of Israel. It's in the knowledge that I no longer have to ask other people to decide whether my people live or die, because I have power to defend myself, real power, not in the hands of others that we have to be finally able to decide for ourselves. This is what Zionism has given me. And when I listen to the notion that anti-Zionism is growing, and it is, what I feel in my stomach is dread, I want you to consider the real-world implications of anti-Zionism. Are you telling me that for there to be rights for Palestinians, my liberty, my dignity, have to go away? Are you telling me that for Jews to fight for a better America, they have to say that Zionism is illegitimate? I want to appeal to you to think that there must be another way, a way that maintains the liberty and dignity of Jews in Israel, of Jews in America and around the world, a way that enables and maintains the dignity of Palestinians, that allows Jews to fight for a better America, and does not ask that the price of that be that Jews give up what is so dear to them and what has made it possible for them to stand tall.
0: Thank you, Anat Will. The resolution, again, anti-Zionism is the new, anti-Semitism, and here to make his statement against the resolution is Yusuf Meneer, executive director of the U.S. Campaign for Palestinian Rights. Ladies and gentlemen, Yusuf Meneir.
4: I was born in a town called Elid, or in Hebrew, Lod. If you know the geography, you know that this makes me a Palestinian citizen of Israel. In 1948, my hometown was ethnically cleansed of nearly all its inhabitants by a man named Yitzhak Rabin. My parents children of survivors, came to the United States when I was young. My father worked for a local company owned by a Jewish American family. They didn't always agree on politics, but they respected each other. He was a frequent guest at their family ceremonies, as well as a regular guest at the annual Passover Seder. When it was his turn to read a passage from the Agadah, he would do so in Hebrew, which is to this day his best language. I learned early on to respect people of all faiths, but I also learned a lesson about anti Semitism in America in those years. One year, things started to change at school after my teacher shared with our class that I had returned from spending the summer in Israel. Effing Jew, I was called. I remember being roughed up on the playground and having pennies thrown at my feet. I distinctly remember one girl exclaiming, Well, that's why his nose is so big. And in truth, it's probably oversized and it's genetic, but what can you do? As a Palestinian citizen of Israel living in the United States, my identity was hard enough for me to understand, let alone to try to explain to white school children who didn't know Palestine from Poughkeepsie. Even though I was not Jewish, that didn't spare me from this experience. And so I imagined how much worse it must be for kids who were. But interestingly, it was those same students who directed that anti-Semitic invective at this non-Jew. It was those same students who, after the World Trade Center bombing, insisted that because my name was Yusuf, I was a terrorist. So while I learned lessons in the schoolyard about anti-Semitism here in America, it is in being Palestinian that I came to understand Zionism. Zionism is a political ideology aimed at the very destruction of our peoplehood. It is the political ideology of Zionism that legitimizes the ethnic cleansing of my hometown and so many others. It's because of Zionism that a Jewish person from Tallahassee or Tokyo can live on the land of a Palestinian refugee languishing in a nearby refugee camp, denied repatriation purely because they were born to the wrong religion. It's because of Zionism that my toddler, who is still in diapers, can be referred to in the most callous and racist language as a demographic threat merely because he's another living, breathing Palestinian. It's because of Zionism that the state of Israel bars people like me from residing in my place of birth with my partner, a Palestinian from the West Bank, because the prospect of another Palestinian womb is a source of anxiety. It's because of Zionism that the state of Israel today rejects the idea of even being a state of all its citizens, and that it violently enforces policies of land seizure, denial of movement, siege and discrimination against Palestinians at various levels of society. The conflation of anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism is preposterous on its face. The idea that merely opposing a particular political ideology makes someone a bigot and a racist is a ludicrous notion and one that seeks to effectively put a political ideology beyond reproach. To ask the Palestinian people not to be anti-Zionists is to ask the Palestinian people not to be.
0: Thank you, Yusuf Manair. And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where our resolution is, anti-Zionism is the new anti-Semitism. Now we move on to round two, and in round two, the debaters will address one another directly. They'll take questions from me. And from members of our live audience here in New York City. The resolution is anti-Zionism is the new anti-Semitism. We've heard two debaters argue for that resolution, Brett Stevens and Inat Wilf. Um, they are arguing very, very clearly from the beginning that they are not equating as anti-Semitic general criticism of Israel or of its policies. What they are arguing against is the challenge to the very existence of the state of Israel, uh, which would be embodied, in fact, in a single-state solution, non-Jewish state solution. They say that anti-Zionism fits into a long pattern of, uh, of challenges to Jewish identity that would be so undermining of the sense of self-determination and security that Jews enjoy within Israel and without Israel by the existence of the state, that that is fundamentally almost a, a form of violence, a kind of assault in itself. The team arguing against the resolution, Peter Beinart and Yusuf Maniar, they concede that there can be such a thing as an anti-Zionist who is not anti-Semitic and vice versa. But they're making the point, first of all, that there are so many people who hold anti-Zionist positions from the Jewish community itself, that that's too many people simply to relegate the idea to the dustbin of evil ideas. They say that one-state solutions have come out of national situations, such as South Africa, showing that nationalism can be replaced without it becoming an act of bigotry. I want to go to the side arguing for the resolution to take up the point that Yusuf just made, that if you're a Palestinian, the, the collected legacy of disasters that have befallen the Palestinian people as a result of their experience since the founding of the state of Israel, first of all, legitimizes the position that he would be anti-Zionist. And secondly, to ask him not to be anti-Zionist is to, is to be asking too much. So can you take that on?
3: That is actually precisely the key point. I want to look for another way The setup that it is a zero-sum, one or zero, that to support the dignity of Palestinians, to support the Palestinian right to self-determination in a state of their own, means that one has to be an anti-Zionist, is one that I don't think is necessary. I don't think this is the world we want to be in. And it's not easy and it's not simple. But I do very much believe that we can support and promote Palestinian dignity and the right to self determination without asking that the price of it be that Jews no longer have the ability to have their own dignity and their own ability to defend themselves. Zionists support the Palestinian right to self determination. I support it. It doesn't have to be either or.
0: Okay, that, let's take that very point. It doesn't have to be either or. Yusuf or Peter?
2: I'm a supporter, have been for a long time, of the two-state solution in which there is a democratic Jewish state alongside a democratic Palestinian state. I am a Zionist. But let's be honest about the reality that we face today... The Israeli government, with the support of the American government, is on the verge of annexing parts of the West Bank. The Israeli government has just announced it's about to build an E1, which people have for years said would make the viability of a Palestinian state impossible. So, and this is being done with the acquiescence, if not active, support of the organized American Jewish community. So what you're essentially telling Palestinians is the two, you will not have your own state. It's becoming more and more utterly unrealistic to imagine it. And what you are demanding, we're demanding you ask, rather than asking for a equality in one state. You have to accept permanent non-citizenship under military law without the right to vote for the government that, that, that controls your lives. And if you oppose that, then you're a bigot. That's the Orwellian logic that's being put forth by this resolution.
1: Right. Zionism and Palestinian statehood are actually codependent. And the argument that they are making, which is that you must eradicate Zionism, in order to create a Palestinian state, is wrong in theory, and it's wrong in practice. Who do you think would be empowered in Israel if the result of this debate is that anti-Zionism is not anti-Semitism, that anti-Zionism is a, excuse my language, a kosher political worldview? That would empower the right wing in Israel because they would say, you see, it's a zero-sum game. Either we survive, and fight and take as much as we can, or we lose.
0: Okay, so what we're really talking about is the intent of the position of anti-Zionism. Is the, is the intent, consciously or unconsciously, anti-Semitic, is it anti-Jewish? We heard uh, Yusuf say, I oppose Zionism not because I hate Jewish people everywhere. I oppose Zionism because of what it did to my people. Would you say that that position, I'm not asking you to say whether he's anti-Semitic or not. You've already said you don't believe anybody on the stage is anti-Semitic. But to hold that position, isn't it, is it in
1: itself to express hatred for the Jewish people? Look, in 1947 and 1948, there was an opportunity that was presented at the United Nations for a Palestinian state to come into existence, and look this up on your phones if you don't believe me, to come into existence with no war and no dispossession. Why? because the Jewish agency run by David Ben-Gurion accepted that partition. So the tragedy that befell Israelis and Palestinians alike in that war, and Israelis also had a tremendous loss of life and physical dispossession in that war, was the result of that decision. The truth is, tragedies emerged from that war. I'm not justifying what Yitzhak Rabin did in Lod. Nobody should justify the opposite position of what happened in Hebron and elsewhere and other communities to the Jewish people. But the suggestion that Zionism is the root of the Palestinian tragedy is wrong. The root of the Palestinian tragedy, tragically, was an Arab decision to refuse to accept Zionism in any border.
4: Yusuf. So again, it's, it's, it's our fault that we did not accept our own dispossession. This is the logic that we are hearing today, that somehow that then justifies all of the policies that uh, follow this political ideology. Look, what we are calling for is a dismantling of the policies that follow from this ideology, many of which I laid out and how they affect Palestinians. And we can achieve that. Uh, and the place can still exist, the people can still exist and they can continue to live together in peace under the concept of justice. We dismantled, we dismantled segregationist policies in places like Alabama based on racist and supremacist ideas and guess what last i checked alabama still exists and it's a much better place than it was 50 years ago still a lot of problems by the way but a much better place you, than it was 50 years ago
0: let me break in to bring something that i not said that goes directly to what you're saying you're you're saying that she can she can find another way to to do what she said to talk to do what she said she wants to Israel to be a place of identity, self-determination, security. You're telling her,
4: no, you don't need all of that to have all of those things. I'm not saying that at all. Are you not? No, of course not. I don't. I don't see why. You're, you're, saying, with she a, you're saying she doesn't need a
0: Jewish state for that to have that. I'm, say,
4: I'm saying that you don't need to oppress Palestinians and deny them equality to be able to express your identity as a Jewish person. I think it's actually fundamentally an anti-Jewish position to believe that that's a necessity.
0: Do you want to respond or not?
3: Of course, it's not what I said. The idea is that the Jewish people have the possibility to finally exercise their self-determination. How recent is it that Jews can walk safely and freely in this world? 40, 50 years, during all that time, we have had the State of Israel. So I am being told: don't worry, it will be replaced by an Arab state which will have civic nationalism and equality and the Jews will be a minority and you will be fine. And even Peter in one of his writings conceded that that might not work. What if in the Middle East, a country with those two groups will descend into what is typical of the Middle East, but not only a Lebanon, a Syria a Yemen and Jews are in battle and we need to flee because we no longer have power, because we gave it up for that beautiful idea of civic equality. Who will take us? Can you tell us, can you promise me that it will be okay? And when it's not, who will be there? We
4: we need to stop talking about this concept in the abstract because in reality it doesn't exist in the abstract okay the idea of a jewish state in theory of course it can exist in peace and in democracy and not be in tension with any of its neighbors or the people who live within the state but in reality zionism wasn't implemented in an empty box it was implemented in a place where people lived And the process of that implementation required certain things. It required the ethnic cleansing of much of the the towns and villages that existed there. It required discrimination. It required what we continue to see on a daily basis. In theory, of course, Zionism as Jewish nationalism is not necessarily different than other forms of nationalism.
0: You're listening to Open to Debate. I'm John Donvan. This episode originally aired in 2020, but we are revisiting it in light of everything going on right now in the Middle East. And we'll be right back with audience questions. Welcome back to Open to Debate. This episode was taped in front of a live audience in 2020 with debaters arguing around this question, is anti-Zionism the new anti-Semitism? We're now reaching the point in the debate where we take questions from the audience.
3: Thank you.
1: My name is Virag. I'm Hungarian. I am non-Jewish and I'm Zionist. So my question to you If I am, as a non-Jew, Zionist, on a daily basis, getting comments that you should die in the gas chamber with the Jews, do you think that these kind of sentences do not entail Jewish hatred, a.k.a. anti-Semitism? Thank you very much.
0: I I think what I'm hearing from the question is is somewhat Brett's point that the conversation around anti-Zionism has been, in some contexts filled with the classic tropes of anti-Semitism that go back hundreds of years, you know, internet memes, et cetera, that 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 is part of the conversation. I think it's a legitimate question. Inat, did you have a thought on that as well?
3: Yes, I just want to address the, what we're repeatedly hearing, the notion is that this time it's different. Yes, every time after World War II where anti-Zionism became a main issue, whether in the Soviet Union and Poland or in the Arab world, ultimately what happened is no Jews. And I'm being asked to believe that this time it's different. This will not be the same. This is different. And that Israel, Jews can forgo their power, and this time it will be different. And all I have to say, I wish I could believe that, but really by now I can't anymore.
0: You so, do you give a response to that? Do you have... A response to enat's point that you and your partner are asking her to trust in a future that her history tells her she would be foolish to trust.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think the, the answer is this. The reality is, what is the alternative? The status quo is not acceptable. It's simply not acceptable. Any situation that continues to deny the rights of Palestinians is not a solution. And the idea that you can just box up the Palestinians in some fraction of the territory and say, hey, we're done, and this preserves Zionism, and so therefore we have a solution, this is not a solution for Palestinians.
0: Thank you for that question. That opened up a very, very good line of of conversation for us. I'd like to do another question. Is somebody higher up? Uh, This is for Yusuf and Peter, and I want to talk about the physical well-being of those seven million Jews. Uh, is this going to be to the point of whether anti-Zionism is anti Exactly. All right, I'm listening. I'm listening closely. The Jewish community of Baghdad numbered
1: about a third of Baghdad before the Second World War. That community is more than 1,500 years older than Islam itself. It has been eradicated to zero. Nowhere in the Middle East can you be a Jew and exist except under Jewish sovereignty.
0: What do you do with those 7 million people? I- it's a question to this team, either of you can answer it, Peter or Yusuf. Uh, the,
2: the Middle East has a, has, a deep, has a history of anti-Semitism, yes. In fact, in those in, would you have rather lived in Poland or Ukraine or Belarus than, than in Morocco or Iraq? Actually, Christian Europe had an even deeper history of anti-Semitism, and yet in, you have managed to see in Europe the emergence of liberal democracies where Jews, despite anti-Semitism, actually, actually live. So to me, what so much of this boils down to, with all due respect is the notion, although it's not stated, it's barely under the surface, that Palestinians have some kind of instinctive desire to kill Jews simply for the re- because they want to kill Jews. And if given rights of equality, rather than being living the same kind of decent lives, asking the same kind of things that we all want for ourselves, they would kill Jews because that's simply what they do. That's the undercurrent running through so much of the Jewish discourse around this. There's an anti-Palestinian bigotry, which is so deep that it's often unconscious in our community.
0: Um, I'd like to let the other side, if you want to, to respond to Peter's point.
3: Of course it's not what we're saying. I, I understand the vision. I would love to one day live in John Lennon's world. One world, no borders, no religion, all humanity living as one. It's just that when the Jews are asked to go first, they get a little suspicious. That's all. Um, <laughs> So all I'm asking to say, it's a beautiful vision, but what if you're wrong? At least concede that it might happen.
0: Sir, thank you for that question. That took us in another good direction. Right behind the camera there.
3: Hi, so my name is Milen, and this is a question directed
2: towards the foreside. So many of Einat's arguments have concerned the right of the Jewish people to self-determination within Israel and the importance of that, but do you believe that Palestinians within Israel should be able to exercise the same rights and enjoy the same freedoms that you believe Israelis should enjoy
3: under Zionism? You, well, mean, uh, you mean Palestinian citizens of the state of Israel? Yes, who are being dispossessed and disenfranchised currently. No, uh, no uh, there might be a bit of a confusion here, but what I, within the state of Israel, Palestinians and Arabs are citizens of the state of Israel. And of course, I support they vote, they are elected within the West Bank and Gaza. My support is for Palestinians to rule themselves, govern themselves in a state of their own. They have that right to self-determination. Can I I jump in in here
4: as the Palestinian citizen of Israel on the stage? I want to try to help people understand in this room how citizenship in Israel differs from citizenship here in the United States because it's very easy to get them confused. Here in the United States, being a citizen and a national is the same thing. It's not the same thing in Israel. Citizenship in Israel was actually created as a category of exclusion, as a way to include Palestinians under the law, but also allow for the privileging of nationals who were Jewish and also citizens. It is a fundamentally discriminatory system. And if you want proof of that, all you have to do is see how the resolution put forward by members of Knesset, who were Palestinian citizens of Israel, simply calling on the state to define itself as a state of all its citizens, was considered too radical to even be heard for consideration in the Israeli parliament.
1: Right. So we're, we're getting into a confusion here, which is you are offering an absolutely legitimate criticism of the policy of the state of Israel when it comes to its Arab citizens. Israel has to work harder like every democracy in the world does to realize the promise of equality. But let me say also this. Most countries are organized in one way or another as nation states. Israel has, uh, is defined as a nation state like so many others are. Aspects of its policy are uh, wrong or repugnant to you, as they may be. Therefore, the entire basis of the state is illegitimate and the state should go, I don't get... That, therefore, let's work to make the state of Israel better. Let's not seek to undermine the very foundation of its existence. Question up on the aisle up there. If you could stand up.
3: My question is for Einat. I heard you say, will you be there when it turns out badly? Palestinian rights will take away Jewish rights. An Arab state means Jewish minority. I hear fear. I wonder... When Palestinians are fearful, is their self-defense anti-Semitic? If Palestinians fight for a state of their own, of course not. If they fight for the Jewish people not to have their state, then it's different. The question is... What are they fighting for?
2: I, I just want to say that I feel like a little bit, with all due respect, Brett and not are living in La La Land. They keep talking about some mythical Palestinian state that's going to be that's going to emerge, right? I have been screaming at the top of my lungs for years and years that the policies of this Israeli government are destroying the possibility of a Palestinian state, and now it's virtually the last nail is in the ground. Annexation is on the horizon. The building is happening in E1. So what's used as this mythical vision of, yes, we could support Palestinian rights one day in some state that is being destroyed, as we speak, that has almost no chance of being realized now, is used as a justification for the present one-state reality in which millions of Palestinians live with fewer rights than an African-American in Mississippi in the 1950s, not even citizens of the state in which they live. And that's the position that's considered the non-bigoted position, to consider the position that you want to sustain that permanently. And for those, for the last one, for those who think that it is may be dangerous for Jews to live with in equality with Palestinians. I want to point out that there are also profound dangers, profound dangers to Jews living alongside 50% of the fellow people between the river and the sea who have no rights. How is that going to land?
0: And I'm going to say that concludes round two of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. Sorry. Where our resolution is anti-Zionism is the new anti-Semitism. And now we move on to closing remarks, and here to make his closing statement in support of the resolution, Brett Stevens, columnist for the New York Times, and you would stand up for that. Uh, In
1: 1947, uh, a little girl and her mother walked into a grocery store in Milano, Italy, which had recently been under uh, Nazi occupation. And as the mother went to pay for the groceries, uh, the woman behind the counter said, why don't you go back to where you came from? Now, that woman had been born in Vilna, grown up in Moscow, had fled the Bolsheviks, had her father executed, moved to Berlin, and then in 1933, had to flee Germany once again. They had come to Italy before the race laws, only to discover that Italy had become another place inhospitable to Jews. They spent the year warriors in hiding from the Gestapo not far away. In 1947, the doors to the United States were closed for them. In 1947, they could not go back to Germany, they could not go back to uh, Russia, and there was not an Israel for them to go back to. Thankfully, that changed. Now things are changing for us Jews here in the United States. Will we be where Germany or France or Britain are in a generation? We may well be. And we're going to want, perhaps, a place to go back to. I ask those of you in this room who are not Jewish to think a little empathetically about that historic dilemma. When you say that anti-Zionism is not a form of anti-Semitism, when you begin the legitimation of the destruction of a Jewish state You are closing the door to Jews, to their safety. Don't do that. Vote for the resolution. Thank you, Brett Stevens. That resolution again, anti-Zionism
0: is the new anti-Semitism, and here to make his closing statement
2: against the resolution, Peter Beinart. On December 28th of last year, on the seventh night of Hanukkah, a man with a machete walked in to a, a celebration of Jews in Muncie, New York. A 32-year-old man named Joseph Gluck saved the lives of the people around him by luring the attacker outside of the house and and seeing the license plate of his car and calling the police. This month, that man, Joseph Gluck, was offered an award of $20,000 by two American Jewish organizations. He refused the award because he's an anti-Zionist and would not take money from, Jewish organiz- from Zionist organizations. To endorse this resolution, you have to say that Joseph Gluck is an anti-Semite. This notion that there's a distinction between calling between anti-Semitism and anti-Semites is sophistry. If, the new Z- if anti-Zionism is the new anti-Semitism, then anti-Zionists are the new anti-Semites and Joseph Gluck is one of them. This is not the way. I care as deeply about Jewish welfare Jewish dignity, Jewish safety, as Brett and Anat do. I will wake up tomorrow morning, as I did this morning, put on tefillin, read Talmud and do my best to, be pr- to do my, proud my tradition of the Jewish people and, 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 and our welfare. But we cannot buy our own safety at the cost of millions of people who lack basic rights. Any definition of anti-Semitism, that dehumanizes Palestinians, is not a response to bigotry. It is an expression of bigotry. And that's why we must oppose this resolution tonight. Thank you, Peter Beinart.
0: Anti-Zionism is the new anti-Semitism. That's our resolution. Here to make her statement in support of the resolution, former member of the Israeli parliament, not Wilf.
3: I never wanted to stand here and I never wanted to believe that anti-Zionism is the new anti-Semitism. Because what Zionism was supposed to do was to cure the world of this ancient hatred. Herzl believed what he was told, that the day that the Jews will no longer be guests among the nations, when they will be in their own home, masters of their fate, the hatred will disappear. To agree to that is a devastating idea for me because as a Zionist, I want to believe that it's about what we do rather than who we are. And for so long, that is what I followed. And this is what I've promoted in Israel. We should do this. We should be better on that. We should give this. And I did not see the ancient hatred disappear. It became stronger and stronger. And every time I said take another pound of flesh, I'll give up this, I'll give up that, is it okay now? And at one point I had to take a step back and say, you are asking for nothing less than all of it, just like the Jews in Poland who were told, no, 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 it's not anti-Semitism, it's, not, it's only anti-Zionism, and many at the end committed suicide because they realized nothing less was demanded of them. So I'm here to say, I am done, and we are done being righteous fools. We are not going to give in everything just to pacify some idea, but it doesn't mean that we can't be better. I want you to leave here tonight and think that there has to be a way for Jews to fight for a better and more equal America, to fight for Palestinian rights and dignity, without saying that the price of that is for the Jews to lose their own.
0: Thank you, Anat Wolf. Anti-Zionism is the new anti-Semitism is our resolution. And here to make his closing statement against the resolution, Yusuf Manayer, Executive Director of the U.S. Campaign for Palestinian Rights.
4: About 16 months ago, a man walked into a synagogue in Pittsburgh and killed 11 worshippers, wounding others. He chose his target not just because it was a synagogue but because this particular synagogue had an affiliation with HIAS, the Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society. He hated HIAS because they helped refugees, including black and brown and Muslim refugees, to resettle here in America. In the world of far-right ideology, there is a common conspiracy theory that sees Jews as the vanguard of cultural Marxism behind an effort to undermine white, Christian, male-dominated society by subversively supporting dangerous things like feminism, immigration, and equal rights. He, too, believed his society would face an existential threat from a system that treated people equally instead of simply privileging his group. Ethnonationalism, it is dangerous. Period at a time when white nationalism is rising in the United States, threatening us all. It is shocking and doubly dangerous that efforts to defend ethno-nationalism in Israel and silence dissent against it are cloaked in the language of combating anti-Semitism. Combating racism is a noble and necessary effort, but forcing a choice on Palestinians to accept the ideology that oppresses them Or be shunned for not doing so is the exact opposite way to go about it.
0: Thank you, Yusuf Janayar. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Open to Debate. As a nonprofit, our work to combat extreme polarization through civil and respectful debate is generously funded by listeners like you, by the Rosencrantz Foundation, and by supporters of Open to Debate. Open to Debate is also made possible by a generous grant from the Laura and Gary Lauder Venture Philanthropy Fund. Robert Rosenkrantz is our chairman. Clea Connor is CEO. Leah Matthau is our chief content officer. Alexis Pangrazi and Marlette Sandoval, our editorial producers. Gabriella Mayer is our editorial and research manager. Andrew Lipson is head of production. Max Fulton is our production coordinator. Damon Whittemore is our engineer. Gabrielle Janicelli is our social media and digital platforms coordinator. Raven Baker is events and operations manager. Rachel Kemp is our chief of staff. And our theme music is by Alex Clement. And I'm your host, John Donvan. We'll see you next time. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you.